Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts on movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I'm John. And welcome to the podcast. So you probably were surprised to hear John's voice as opposed to Nathan. I am being joined today by John from the Behind the Screen podcast. And if you have not heard John and his podcast, you definitely should check them out. I will put a link on the description of this podcast to your podcast, John, because Nathan and I were part of your podcast a few months ago, I believe. Uh, yeah, it was a month and a half. Yeah, a month and a half. Yeah. And we recorded an episode on MCU movies before, or excuse me, comic book movies before the MCU. Yeah. Talking about like the CBS Captain America made for TV movies <laughs> and like the, the Doctor Strange yeah. movie and the Trial of the Incredible Hulk and all kinds of ridiculous, silly movies like that. Yeah, no, definitely. And it was a lot of fun. Nathan and I had a great time in the podcast. So again, folks definitely check out john's podcast behind the screen john thank you so much for joining me yeah thanks for having me this is a special episode for me because we get to talk about my favorite movies of all time they really are masterpieces they are absolute masterpieces movies that let's be honest they would never be made today no one would say sure let's just spend the next three years making movies you spending six months building sets and you know doing all this crazy stuff like no one would do this no studio would in their right mind would do this today while I disagree that I don't think that they could be made today, they definitely would be a big ask. I think it would be oh, hard yeah. to get them made. I yes. don't think impossible, but still. No, no. Yeah, I think Points impossible stand. in this... <laughs> impossible in the sense that studios would be a little bit more picky about funding something like this but i hear you on that uh yeah. but these are not just the good old lord of the rings movies that we've been watching for the last god almost 20 years can you believe that uh, way to make me feel old dude <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for almost 20 years, we've had a couple of versions of Lord of the Rings. We've had the original DVD releases, and then we had, of course, the Blu-rays that uh, came out somewhere in the mid-aughts, I believe. And, of course, now we have a new version of Lord of the Rings, which is the 4K Ultra HD versions of Lord of the Rings. And that is what we're going to talk about today, and just in Lord of the Rings in general, of course, but this new format that we're seeing. So, John, you had a chance to watch these over the Christmas break, right? I did, yes. I gotta say, it, like, no matter which version of the movie you're watching, they are fantastic films. Oh, absolutely. And they are just beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, it's Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings yeah. is a great set of films. So, yes, you're right. I think no matter whether you're plopping on your DVD on, like, your 28-inch, you know, TV <laughs> or something, you know, you're going to have a good time because this is Lord of the Rings. But these 4K Ultra HD versions, I got to say, I fell in love with these movies all over again. As I said, they are just absolutely gorgeous bits of film. Peter Jackson went through and, like, updated some of the things he kind of well not really updated he didn't like pull a george lucas on it but he did make some changes and so now it's available in 4k hdr like the prettiest possible image that you can get mm -hmm. it's a marketed improvement at least over the dvds absolutely and let's talk about that bit that you mentioned that peter jackson didn't pull a george lucas on this because that was my main concern when the 4k ultra hd versions of lord of the rings were announced i was concerned that we were going to see a dramatic difference in terms of picture quality from the 
theatrical releases to this one. I think a lot of people were definitely concerned that there were going to be changes, but I don't know necessarily that that's what people were worried about. People were worried about him, as I said, pulling a George Lucas and changing stuff up that wasn't in the original film. So much so, like, it was so much of a, like, problem amongst the public that before the movie starts, Peter Jackson comes on and explains what he did. And explains, like, I didn't change anything about, like, what happens in the movies or any of the actual imagery. It's all what you remember. Mm -hmm. I just made it look better. Yes. Which is honestly the best decision that could have been made with the treatment that this edition of The Lord of the Rings got. Because it wasn't just a let's just make everything look sharper and clearer, right? It wasn't just that. I mean, the special effects that we saw or the visual effects that we saw in the original films, even those got massive improvements over the original versions of it. I mean, I can think of the scene with the Balrog, for example, in The Fellowship of the Ring in the Mines of Moria. I mean, I saw a comparison shot between the Blu-ray version and the 4K Ultra HD version, and what a difference does it make? And I immediately saw saw it in the quality of the flames that they you could there was far more detail on the character of the Balrog than there was in the original versions of these films. And so yeah, I think that the decision that Peter Jackson made, which was to say let's just not improve on the picture quality by just making everything look sharper and clearer, but let's also improve on the special effects to make sure that what we see are effects that are look like they've been done today as opposed to 20 years ago. I'm kind of curious how much of that like was actually fiddling with the special effects and how much of that was just the introduction of HDR. You know, having mm-hmm. the, the brightest colors be brighter and the darker colors be darker. So you just yeah. get a wider dynamic range. I feel like with something like the Balrog, that was probably less messing with the actual effect and more just seeing more vibrant colors than you're used to it. Mm-hmm. With something like the Balrog, more vibrancy is going to definitely have a massive effect on yeah, how it absolutely. looks. No, definitely. Uh, I mean, there was a definitely a lot more contrast, right, between the whitest or the brightest parts of the Balrog versus the darkest parts. And again, what HDR does, for those of you who are not aware of, is HDR just kind of gives you this really wide gamut of color and contrast. So brights appear really bright, darks appear really dark, but the darks don't lose detail, which is what's so important versus traditional standard dynamic range or SDR content. Yeah, you don't run into situations where the the dark spots have like a bunch of noise and just like look kind of muddied and gross. You don't run into that with HDR. No, you don't. And you still get so much detail, even again in the Balrog and in the Mines of Moria too. I mean, that whole sequence was in the original films, right? Or the original formats were very dark, obviously. But, mm-hmm. you know, even on this one, there was just so much that you could see in the Mines of Moria despite the fact that it was just a dark scene all throughout. I think that one of the one of the big things that the introduction of HDR and a lot of the color work that Peter Jackson and his team did, it's important to note that we got these 4K remasters of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And at the exact same time, we got 4K HDR remasters of the Hobbit trilogy, mm-hmm. which the Hobbit trilogy is what it is not going to really comment on the quality of it necessarily (laughs) i will just say if you want to watch the hobbit watch the there and back again fan edit that compresses all three of those movies down into one four-hour movie but anyways with all of the color work and all of the hdr work that he did now you can watch those six movies all together and they feel like one continuous story like even though they're separated by you know a decade and a half of film technology Mm -hmm. between when the lord of the rings was filming at the end of the 90s and when the Hobbit was filming during the early aughts. 
uh, they still they now sort of feel like they belong together, like they match a lot better. Yes, which is another big decision that was made by Warner Brothers and Peter Jackson, right, of making sure that the look and feel of the films felt more cohesive. Because you're right, I mean, The Hobbit always felt like it was not quite this. I didn't get the same feeling that I got of what Middle Earth was, the place where all of these events were taking place. It just didn't feel the same. And I think it was mostly tonality and mm-hmm. the look and feel of it, right? I mean, you know, The Lord of the Rings, I believe, was was filmed in actual film and The Hobbit was, was all digital, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I believe The Lord of the Rings was shot on all film, but they did utilize some digital techniques with, at the very least, with The Two Towers and Return of the King. Mm-hmm. Because while those three films were shot at the same time, they were treated as separate productions, largely. So technology that was being developed while they were filming the first Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, that had came out while that movie was being filmed, they then started to use on Two Towers and Return of the King. That's Mm -hmm. why Fellowship of the Ring looks like, if you're one of those people who really like analyzes frames Mm -hmm. and like really gets into film science, if you go back and you look at the Fellowship of the Ring versus the Two Towers, you Mm -hmm. can tell a noticeable difference between those two films. Mm Mm-hmm. That isn't there between the two towers and Return of the King. Right. And that comes down to some of the like digital coloring techniques and stuff that came out at around that time. Yes. But now that they've gone back and they've remastered and they've sort of redone some of the color science behind these movies, now that difference isn't there and it's all been smoothed out. And so everything like fits together as more of a cohesive piece than it mm-hmm. did before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And also seeing these three films or all of these six films just now feeling like that they're all one continuous story now and you can start with The Hobbit if you want to watch things chronologically and then end up with Return of the King it definitely is something that from a marketing perspective really helps Warner Brothers sell this whole thing as a, as a box set right and I think that they also have plans to release a complete Middle Earth works or something like that if I'm not mistaken sometime in June of this year yeah that's the plan that I've heard at least yeah which i'll probably pick up yeah because like while i got a chance (laughs) to check out the 4k copies of lord of the rings i didn't actually buy them myself i didn't pick up a copy because i was sort of waiting for that collective work yeah i totally bought the 4k versions of this (laughs) and i'm also going to buy (laughs) the the extended so i will now have i currently own three copies of lord of the rings i have the the extended editions on dvd format which are from a presentation standpoint the best ones yeah the boxes are just so like they're so beautiful (laughs) they feel like they're like tomes of knowledge it's it's fantastic i love i love the dvd box set they are absolutely gorgeous the artwork is so amazing when i bought these i paid so little money with that i go back and look now and they cost so much more now <laughs> yeah it's ridiculous my parents picked them up when they were brand new and like growing up because you know just to date myself a little bit the lord of the rings films came out when i was like 11 12 and 13 mm-hmm. so you know i did get to grow up in a household with the extended edition dvds mm-hmm. and so to me that's when i'm watching lord of the rings i usually will go back and watch those versions mm-hmm. i do own the blu-rays of the extended can't say i've ever actually put them in you know i also own the blu-ray versions of it as well and uh by the way uh pro tip for those out there who are thinking yeah i want to buy the 4k versions and i'm going to totally get rid of the blu-rays 
don't get rid of your Blu-rays because the 4K versions of The Lord of the Rings do not include the extra feature discs that yeah. you get from the Blu-ray. So keep your Blu-ray if you value that content. If you don't care about it, then sure, you can get rid of it. But if you definitely care about that, those extra features, keep your Blu-rays because that's the only place where you're going to get it. Even if you're not the kind of person who cares about those features, I would still say hang on to the Blu-rays just because from an archival standpoint, I feel like in the future we are going to see even though like there wasn't any major changes to the 4k transfers there are going to be people who are going to be like major purists in the future who want to see the original like as it was yeah so i would still say hold on to them just for an archiving standpoint absolutely that's literally the only reason why i also own the theatrical cuts on dvd even though i don't think i've watched the theatrical cuts since they were in theaters yeah just because like why would i (laughs) yeah extended editions are like not even art like there isn't even an argument over which one's better like everyone's just accepted that the extended editions are like the ones that you watch yes absolutely honestly i think that anybody who chooses to watch the theatrical cut is a psychopath (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm not gonna disagree with you on that yeah anybody who's like do you want to watch lord of the rings sure and then puts on that theatrical edition i'm like i'm leaving this house immediately the only way that is acceptable (laughs) is if that's the only version of the movies that they have in which case my argument is how is that the only version that you have it's been almost 20 years why do you have them you have had 20 years to go out and buy the extended (laughs) editions what is wrong with you exactly which again points to serial killer yeah just walk away slowly (laughs) yes exit (laughs) the premises immediately (laughs) yeah so i want to also say about these movies by the way that they are a great incredible improvement over the original theatrical editions but they are not perfect by any means no there are still a few frames here and there that for the keen visual effect eyes out there they will notice they will notice a few things here and there i unfortunately have become more aware of these things ever since watching the corridor or crew on YouTube. I don't know if you're familiar mm, with those yeah, guys. They're VFX artists react. Yes. We talk about them a lot on the podcast. <laughs> they come up a lot. <laughs> they have ruined my movie watching experience now because now every time I see a visual effects, I'm like, they didn't get the lighting right on that. That was totally wrong. Like, look at that ocular inclusion. Uh, it doesn't look yeah, right. Exa- it doesn't look right. I mean, like, I remember the, the one of the scenes that really stuck out for me was the scene when Aragorn, Gandalf, and Gimli and, and Legolas are riding to see the the mouth of Sauron right by the gates that mm. whole scene I'm like everything else was a little bit darker but the horses and, and Aragorn and everything all of those folks they look so lit up like light was shining on them or something and I'm like why are they sticking out so much <laughs> <laughs> we had an episode of Behind the Screen that was talking about VFX that has aged well and VFX that hasn't aged well. And in mm-hmm. that episode, we had a VFX artist on. He was a guest of ours. It was very awesome talking to him. He had worked on like Blade Runner 2049. And nice. I'm trying to remember the other ones he'd worked on. But uh, having somebody who like even like tangentially had something to do with Blade Runner 2049, I was having a great time because that's one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time. It's such a great film. It's so good. But um. When it got time to talk about VFX that didn't stand up, he 
brought up the Lord of the Rings and he's like, I feel like it's going to be blasphemy for me to say anything bad about these movies. He's like, but some of the green screen effects do not, they just have not really held up over time. They really haven't. And when he said that, I was like, he's crazy. And then I thought about it for longer than like five seconds. And I was like, no, yeah, he's right. Some of the green screen stuff looks rough. The other one that sticks out for me was the scene when, you know, the the famous, my friends, you bow to no one, right? And when and then yeah. Aragorn and the rest of Gondor basically bows in front of the hobbits. With, yeah, the hobbits, their green screen does not look great. That was real rough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That was real rough. They are not blended into their environment all too well. Not very well. And I wonder if they just ran out of time or if they just were like, we can't do anything about this. It might have just been, you know, one of those limited by the technologies of their time kind of thing. And it's sort of just like, that's the best they could do. Yeah. Given the circumstances. But I don't know. It's just, it's one of these things where one thing I've said for years, basically like since I started making content for Screen Rant, one of, one of the things that I've told people and I've, I've gone down into comments and I've had you know, I've gotten into arguments with people and all kinds mm-hmm. of different things. But one thing that I will always say is no film is perfect. No, I don't care yeah. how good or how classic the movie is. If we sat here for long enough, I could tell you things that were wrong with Citizen Kane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yes, of course. Every movie has issues. And what it really comes down to is there's an old adage, usually with, with VFX, but it also applies to pretty much any creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. That just basically is like, you know, nothing is ever finished. It just has to come out. Yes, absolutely. Because you could sit there and you could tweak and you can improve things forever. Yes. Yeah, but you eventually you have to just cut it off and put it out. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is what tends to happen with a lot of the productions now, right? Is that they run out of time. Yeah. They said, "Hey, we have a release schedule that we need to we need to stick by. If you're behind, then well, we'll we'll get out what you have." Which is why sometimes we end up with movies like Fan Four Stick or that was not a time thing. Fan Four well, Stick was a lot of a lot of terribleness that came together to produce like just a steaming pile of hot garbage. Yeah, that's true. That was to be fair. That was mostly the director slash people in suits. Just trying yeah, to... there's a lot of the studio. I know this is very tangential, but I have over the last few years kind of softened my thoughts on Josh Trank's work on that film, Trank being the one who directed it. Mm-hmm. I more and more am leaning towards the idea that the studio are the ones to blame like solely for that movie. Mm-hmm. I've heard Trank talk enough about the movie and about what he had wanted to do with it mm-hmm. that it's very apparent that, you know, he didn't get to do anywhere near the vision that he had. So I'm going to cut him a little bit of slack. Which, you know, I mean, maybe there's hope for Trank to redeem himself. What if Kevin Feige is like, Trank, you want another shot? <laughs> no, that, that's not happening. He, he's done. I but know, I know. You know he's it done, sucks right. for him, but he's done. <laughs> like, yeah. But, you know, we talk about things coming out that aren't finished fully. I think we're starting to see that change a little bit though Mm -hmm. with streaming services becoming more and more of like a main way that people are consuming content yes you remember this last season with the mandalorian yeah someone pointed out that in one frame of an episode you can see a crew member wearing like jeans in the background Mm -hmm. if you go back and watch that episode now that guy is gone yeah because they like (laughs) very subtly like released an updated version of the episode or like if you go and watch i don't know why anybody would do this but if you were re-watching the last season of game of thrones on hbo (laughs) 
<laughs> Again, I don't know why anybody would. You get to the episode with the Starbucks cup, the Starbucks cup is gone. Yeah. If you're watching on HBO Go or whatever the hell they are streaming on now, didn't yeah. HBO Go like get folded into HBO Max? I don't know. It's HBO Max now. I, I don't think that, they're, that they have any of the other platforms anymore. I only use HBO Max just to watch DC content. Like, that's literally all it is for me. And Metalocalypse. Yeah. But (laughs) if you watch that episode now on streaming platforms, the coffee cup is gone because they've gone back and removed it. So these days, if a movie comes out on like HBO Max or Netflix or something like that, they could feasibly like release it, hit their deadline, and then like still keep like updating it, like patching it. Like it's a video game. They're Mm -hmm. releasing, you know, day one patches or whatever. And (laughs) there's a debate about whether or not that's a good thing, Mm -hmm. but it's a thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, Peter Jackson, I mean, he spent so much time working on this film, right? And Warner Brothers kind of just let him do whatever with this upgraded versions right and he oversaw a lot of the a lot of what was being done here which i think also kind of makes these films and the release a little bit more special right because contrasting that to the work that's typically done in all of this on all of this series and how it's much more i don't want to say commercialized but it's it's more like you know with lord of the rings you get a little bit that of that sense of handmade feeling yeah that you don't really get with the rest of this content that's being released it feels like it's made by somebody who actually cares yes absolutely and i think that you know with how we're seeing the industry change and how we're seeing the impact that streaming platforms are having especially in the last year with COVID-19 creating such a huge impact in the industry i think it'll be interesting to see and this is why i say you know what i said earlier which was you know that the Lord of the Rings are films that just wouldn't be made today because no studio would say, sure, let's just put all of this work. I mean, just the amount of work that went into creating these worlds, creating everything that went into Lord of the Rings. These films have a ton of VFX shots, but not as many as people think. No, it's a lot of practical. Yeah, a lot of what we see is real. I mean, they built Edoras in its entirety. Yes, on top Even of though, that hill. Even though, like, you only see, like, <laughs> like three wide shots of it yes there's basically a couple of shots in the two towers and maybe one in return of the king and that's it yeah they spent six to eight months building that that's just eras they built helms deep they built or sections of helms deep they built sections of gondor they built all of hobbiton exactly which you can actually visit to their credit it's still there and like it is generating money yes exactly but these are the kinds of things right that when i see lord of the rings and when I think of Lord of the Rings, I think of the amount of care and attention and just insane amount of detail work that went into this. And what I really appreciated about the 4K versions of these films is that you really ended up seeing all of that detail in glorious HDR, right? I mean, <laughs> you look at the clothing, you look at the stitching, you look at all of this work that's done on the clothing and the armors and all of this stuff that is just insane. Yeah, the detail is beautiful. Oh, yeah. And it's stuff that they did that with the knowledge that people weren't really going to be able to see it yeah the craftsmanship of what they did at weta workshop is 
unmatched and like nobody has gotten close to that level since absolutely and that's another thing that lord of the rings has done for the film industry before lord of the rings weta was just another they were pretty small time and now weta is like you know one of the special effects houses yeah besides you know uh light and magic or something i can't remember yeah industrial light and magic and weta are kind of like neck and neck yeah i mean ilm is still probably the big one obviously i mean it's lucasfilm yeah like you can't really compete with lucasfilm they're disney but you know Weta Workshop and Weta Digital are both like right there the amount of work that went into it it's just fascinating if you get a chance to watch the special features that kind of walk you through how this film was made it's just insane the amount of work and effort that was put into this movie it's just rare to see this kind of work also being done in movies today you know like it's not something that we typically end up seeing which i mean this kind of makes me a little curious because some of you might not be aware but there is a thing that is happening and that is that amazon is producing a lord of the rings well <laughs> rather middle earth based show what um, i didn't know about that yeah i guess they put just a crazy amount of money into it um and one billion dollars if i recall correctly yeah like some insane amount of money into it and from what i from what we've been hearing recently leaks have started to come out from it and it sounds like it's going to be set during the second age second age yeah yeah so like back during like Sauron's doing Saurani things and mm-hmm. you know Isildur is still around like yep. so I'm kind of curious if you know I feel like for that show to be successful it has to at the very least meet the bar that these films set like yeah. I, I don't feel like you can do anything related to Middle Earth and not go 100% because people expect that. I think that is the reason why The Hobbit wasn't as successful. Is because it feels like, well, first of all, let's be real here. We did not need three movies of The Hobbit. No. We only needed two at the most. Even then, that would have been pushing it. Even then. And second, I deeply regret not seeing a Guillermo del Toro version of The Hobbit. Like, here's the thing. A part of me is sort of like, hey, I'd like to go to the alternate universe where that movie got made. But on the <laughs> other hand, like, as much as I love Guillermo, and I do, like, I think he's a fantastic filmmaker and just uh, he has a brilliant visual mind about things. I don't know if I necessarily would have wanted like I almost feel like it would have been a little too dark and a little too twisted. Like I don't think that his style works quite as well with something like The Hobbit which The Hobbit of all of Tolkien's works is probably is probably the most like whimsical and child friendly and like happy go lucky and wholesome. I mean it is a children's book. That's how it was written, if I recall correctly. I believe it was written for his children. Yeah. I feel like getting somebody like Guillermo, who does good work, as I said, but who has a very, like, sort of twisted way of looking Mm -hmm. at the fantasy genre, I don't know if that would work so well with something like The Hobbit. But then again, the Hobbit films that we did get definitely had a lot of darkness in them, but I feel like that was mostly... On this one, I'm going to say that this is largely the studio trying to cram Lord of the Rings into The Hobbit. Yeah. Unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Which is why whenever I tell people, like, if you're going to watch The Hobbit, watch the There and Back Again fan edit. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. It's like four hours and change long or something like this. Yep. And basically what they did was they took the Blu-ray editions of all three of the Hobbit movies and they cut out everything that they could possibly cut out that wasn't in the book and just mm-hmm. put it into one movie. 
there are still like some things that you know just the way that the movie was filmed they mm-hmm. couldn't cut out like they couldn't cut out sure. Radagast entirely mm-hmm. they couldn't cut out Legolas entirely just because like they're in shots that are important for there to be a coherent story right so like the the one chick elf played by Evangeline Lilly whose name completely escapes me who yep. wasn't in the book like she's still in shots and she still has yeah. a part to play in it is there a romance with the dwarf in it no no because we don't need that <laughs> No, yeah, we don't need it. (laughs) Besides all of the inflation that The Hobbit had, which, you know, typically I don't have a problem with that, right? Like, I don't, I didn't have a problem with that with Lord of the Rings. Like, I didn't have a problem with the elves showing up on Helm's Deep, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as opposed to the rangers showing up. As, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, yeah. Honestly, I, I think it made more sense for the elves to show up. That's what I'm saying. Like, it just played really well with the storyline and what Peter Jackson and Fran, Fran Walsh and Philip Boyens wanted to write for this version of Lord of the Rings. I think it worked brilliantly. I didn't miss tom bombadil i couldn't have cared less about that character and i'm not like sitting here thinking man you know what lord of the rings fellowship of the ring really could have used some tom bombadil i kind of missed tom bombadil but at the same time i also can recognize that it probably would have been a mistake to include it well right exactly if lord of the rings had not been done in a film version if it had been done in like an episodic format right where we would have multiple seasons then yeah I think that they will probably would have included Tom Bombadil but yeah have an episode with Tom Bombadil and the Barrel Wraiths and all that stuff like yeah exactly that would be fine for a single episode it would be a filler episode but it'd yeah. be fine but it'd be fine exactly it would be for the Tolkien fans right yeah so taking liberties to improve on or to add to the film that still felt like this still feels like something that could have happened in the world right like this still feels like it fits really nicely with the overall story but in the hobbit that wasn't the case at all like adding legolas and radagast and all of these other characters that really weren't present in the book i mean so i want to preface this by pointing out that the hobbit is my favorite book of all time i love the (laughs) hobbit (laughs) My earliest memory is I I can very faintly remember sitting in my dad's lap in his like lazy boy lounge chair, him reading me and my brother snippets of The Hobbit from his illustrated copy of The Hobbit that he had. And so like, love the story, love the book, grew up with it, beloved part of my childhood. That being said, I'm okay with some of the things that they added in. I'm okay with Radagast just because like he was kind of involved in The Hobbit. Like he's mentioned and like he did do some things. We just didn't see him. He just did them kind of like out outside of the frame. And I'm even sort of okay with the necromancer stuff because we know that Gandalf left to go do stuff and we know that he was doing that stuff. So I'm okay mm-hmm. seeing it. It's It's stuff like adding in Legolas, like you mentioned. Yeah. Where like, okay, yeah, we know that Legolas was at the battle of all the armies and we know that I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't see Gimli because we also know that he was also at that battle. Yeah. Like I'm kind of, <laughs> I, I kind of give them credit for showing restraint and not having him pop up. Right. Not that we would have been able to pick him out in a crowd of, you know, eight thousand other bearded dudes but 
Yeah. Still, like, I don't hate some of the changes. And honestly, when it comes down to it, I don't hate the Hobbit movies. Mm -hmm. If someone came to me and were like, hey, I want to watch The Desolation of Smaug, I wouldn't be like, ugh, gross, no. I'd be like, Mm -hmm. all right, fine, let's sit down and let's watch this movie. Sure, yeah. Because they're fine. Like, they're well made, at least. I'll give them that. Mm -hmm. It's just unnecessary. Yes, there's a lot of unnecessary bits in the movie, which, again, is what makes it feel this artificially inflated just so that it can match the epicness that was Lord of the Rings when the story of The Hobbit just... It was not that epic. It wasn't an epic story. And I think this is where it failed because I think that if we had seen a more intimate setting, a more intimate story, I think that would have served the film so much more. And and we have seen how successful intimate stories can be. I mean, Logan, for example, is an incredible example of why having intimate close stories just work didn't you make this same exact point in our episode (laughs) (laughs) i think i might have you know i was also gonna say blade runner does the same thing blade runner is also an 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 intimate story about this person wanting to find meaning and wanting to feel connected yeah and while the second film 2049 upped the stakes a little bit it was still very much an intimate story yes exactly and we could have had both there is a way to do both and i think that's where the hobbit kind of failed you know is in is in giving us that intimacy and not caring about this being about saving the world right because it wasn't about that and you know that's what lord of the rings was about it's about saving middle earth and the hobbit wasn't about that it was never about that but i felt like they just like the studio said that we need to do something to match the epicness that was lord of the rings they wanted the lord of the rings again like, they might as well have just remade The Lord of the Rings, which, for the love of God, nobody remake The Lord of the Rings. Please, no. They wanted to remake The Lord of the Rings without remaking The Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. Going back to the Amazon series, the fact that a billion dollar budget is allocated for this show kind of gives me a little bit of hope that maybe they will put in the same amount of work and effort as they have in the Lord of the Rings films, because you're right. You have to put that much effort. You have to put that much work. It has to match it, right? You can't expect any less than what we were given almost 20 years ago, which, you know, it's insane to say, but I absolutely agree with you to circle back to that point, right, which we were making, which was that there is just something special and unique. And again, I keep saying, like, I want to use the word handmade because it's it's sort of like a craft, you know, like someone crafted this movie. Well, I mean, like cinema is an art form. I feel like The Lord of the Rings is just a culmination of all of the different varied art forms that can be put into the basket that is cinema. We're all executed at a high level. Yeah, absolutely. It was a milestone in filmmaking history, right? I mean, it was an absolute milestone. From Lord of the Rings, we got so much more stuff that has contributed to modern film that Lord of the Rings was definitely that stage. I mean, we had digital effects and all of this stuff that came from films like Jurassic Park, right? And then The Matrix and all of these other films that were sort of around the same time that that Lord of the Rings kind of was a culmination of like all of this stuff that we had been doing for decades. And now we've reached this summit here uh, at least this point in this in our journey of filmmaking and here's everything that we've that we have achieved over the last 30 40 50 years and i also want to point out another big part as to why i feel like this movies have looked so well and it's kind of the same reason why i think the original blade runner still looks really good even though it's a freaking old movie <laughs> is because of the use of miniatures or oh, yeah. in in the words of 
Richard Taylor from Weta Workshop bigotures uh, because <laughs> they were these gigantic sets, right? That they would sometimes occupy an entire like set, an entire sound soundstage. You know, just how big some of these sets were. I think that that really helped this movie in terms of make, making sure that it aged well. Because I mean, let's take a look at an example of the Harry Potter 4K films, which were a good improvement. But let's be honest here: the folks over at Warner Brothers didn't spend the same amount of care and attention on that update to 4K for Harry Potter as they did with Lord of the Rings. Some of the visual effects in Harry Potter were just basically, let's just make this look sharper. Who cares if this still looks like a PlayStation 2? graphics the shot that comes to mind immediately for me is the troll yes in the first in the sorcerer's stone or philosopher's stone depending on which region you are in yep no amount of polishing is going to make that turd look nice no no you can (laughs) make it look sharper but you just now i just i can clearly see that turd that's basically (laughs) you know like before it was kind of as much but now i can clearly see it i mean can you imagine if you know minas tirith and isengard and helm's deep and all of this stuff was digitally made it wouldn't hold up as well it wouldn't have absolutely not i will say i've seen like all the pictures and video and stuff of the miniature set for minas tirith well miniature the thing's freaking huge yeah (laughs) i don't play warhammer but i really want to learn how to play warhammer and play it on that set yeah there's a mod for it or something right Well, like the the tabletop version of oh yeah of it, I would totally learn how to play that to play it on that giant miniature set. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Those are the kinds of things that I would buy or have made if I was a billionaire. You know, if I if I was a billionaire, the amount of nerdy stuff that I would have would be <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> It's like, do you guys want to? Do you guys want to play Dungeons and Dragons? Okay, we're gonna meet in Bag End. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, yeah. Like have just dedicated rooms for these big miniatures and just go crazy. You know, like you wouldn't even uh, need miniatures. You would just you could just hire actors to act out the whole thing. Oh my God, yes, you could totally <laughs> do that. Just have a have a full scale actual adventure, right? That sounds uh, fantastic, right? Or just buy a <laughs> castle, you know, and just. Set set some stuff there. Why why just stop at one castle? Two or three. <laughs> Need to vary it up, man. Need to vary it up. Exactly. Have one by the sea. Yeah, you got you got to get different styles in different locations and like. Oh yeah. You know, y- you've got like your your classic English style castle, and then you've got your French chateau, and yep. then you know you've got your uh, your <laughs> kind of like Mayan pyramid, as it were. You got to just mix it up. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So in our podcast, we usually do our TLDL segment which is the too long didn't listen and so this is where we give our closing thoughts on the films or tv series that we're talking about so john i want to hear what your closing thoughts are on the lord of the rings 4k edition the 4k editions of the lord of the rings are fantastic though really no matter how you choose to watch the lord of the rings you're gonna have a, a great time because these movies are as close to perfection as i believe cinema can get i second that absolutely second that i've seen lord of the rings in three formats now in a variety of sizes of screens all the way from a gigantic screen on a cinema to a 27 inch tv every single time i've seen this film i have just so much fun watching it and the 4k versions of it in my mind, are the definitive editions. If you're looking for home media of Lord of the Rings, these are the definitive editions that you should 
absolutely own if you, you know, granted, if you have a 4K television. Granted. They have improved on almost every aspect of this film. There are still parts that are rough, right? But for the most part, these are just absolute must own for anybody out there who has the proper equipment to drive these movies. The better your system is, the better these movies are going to look and sound. And they come with digital copies too, by the way. The set comes with both the theatrical and the extended editions. Again, no special features. So, John, again, I want to thank you for joining me in this conversation about Lord of the Rings. People can find you at Behind the Screen Podcast, but you also have a Twitter handle, right? Yes. So, I am at Bender Waffles, B-E-N-D-E-R-W-A-F-F-L-E-S. Over there, I'm usually tweeting about, like, movies or TV shows or comics, video games, and stuff like that. Every once in a while, I'll tweet something about how our country is on fire, but that's not super often. <laughs> and yeah, you can find the Behind the Screen podcast on the Screen Rant YouTube channel, or it's also available on Spotify, which is where I listen to it, because yes, I listen to my own podcast like a psychopath. And uh, you can also just find me bumming around the Screen Rant YouTube channel as well. I, I'm one of the voices of that channel, so you can hear me there. All right, great. So everybody go listen to John Sears. Seriously, his podcast is great. And you know what? I'm going to also make a confession. I do sometimes listen to my podcast. So, Psychopath Club. What it up? is fun sometimes to go back <laughs> and listen to conversations that you had like months later, just so that you can just listen to yourself and go, oh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> oh, just like, yeah. why was I thinking like that? I uh, oftentimes go like, oh, past Daniel, you <laughs> had no idea, you sweet, innocent baby. <laughs> That being said, there have been times where I've gone back and listened to episodes and been like, wow, I'm a genius. This was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, especially when you make a prediction about something and it happens, and you're like, oh, man, yeah, I remember making that prediction. Or if I got, like, particularly academic about some discussion about, like, VFX or filmmaking or something, and I'm just like, oh, wow, yeah. man, I know a lot about what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, those are the best, for sure. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, thanks, everybody, so much for listening. You can find us on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. And you can obviously find us on Spotify and all other major streaming platforms for podcasts. So with that, I have been Daniel. And I've been John. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.